0: Hello and welcome to the Good Robot Andes, season 10 episode Hang two. on.
1: Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Here. What? This What's is going a Tech. On? It's a tech podcast. It's a tech podcast. So I'm hosting, which I haven't done for a long time actually. Uh, I can't remember the last time so I So how, hosted, is it, how it, does this work? Well, uh, I say welcome to the Good Robot Andes, season 10 episode 2. 2. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's good thing good thing you're here to tell me what to do. We've got a special episode tonight, folks. Uh, as a, as we told you last time, mm-hmm. uh we're actually following up on something that we told you last time, which is amazing. We've got Fran Bontempo back on the show. Say hi, Woo! Fran.
2: Hi there.
1: Hi there. Uh, Fran's here to talk about cellular automaton automaton. Automata. You- <laughs> automata?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Something like that, well, the, but with fewer tomases, no, I think.
1: Well, I think maybe you need to um, fill us in in a moment, anyway. Uh, but first, do we have any other business? Um, Anything I to think, talk about before we start? I don't think so. I
0: mean, no? I, did, I did hear that someone had died, but I don't remember who it was.
1: Someone did, but I can't remember who it was either. Okay, maybe we'll do that next time. I've got a small bit of any other business. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I started watching Baz Luhrmann's Elvis That's not an Elvis biopic. Last night, okay, and I'm really, really enjoying it. So um, Baz Luhrmann's a director that uh, I have mixed feelings about. So I find his stuff to be very pop video-ish. and you know, if you like this shot, don't get too attached to it because it's going to be gone in like 15 seconds and be replaced. What what would we have seen of his Uh, Romeo plus Juliet with um, Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, Uh, also um, Moulin Rouge. Right, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm I'm in two minds about his stuff. I like Romeo and Juliet, I dislike Moulin Rouge, but Elvis is quite something. So the guy they've got playing him, the first time he performs, honestly, it's electric watching him perform because you see it as people would have seen it rather than, you know, like, who is this person who looks like he's been beamed down from space kind of thing? He looks completely different to anything else that's going on. Um so uh yeah, thoroughly enjoying that. I'll talk about that on a future pod. Anyway. Cool. That's my that's my AOB. <laughs> okay. That's let's, let's move on. So, Fran, um let, let's do some background to this. So uh you popped up on, on our Twitter feed and said, Does anyone want to know about cellular automaton? And I said, Do you want to talk about it on the podcast? And you said yes. So <laughs> here we
2: are that that does seem to have been the case i'm not quite sure how or
1: why this happened but here we are and then we arranged a date and then andy did some preliminaries with you over the weekend and here we are yeah so give us a a short sentence about what is cellular automaton if I'm even saying it right,
2: I well, you you stick you with know. it like that. We can just call them CAs for shorter, avoid CAs, the confusion okay, yep. and the tomatoes, tomatoes, or potatoes, <laughs> whatever yeah, they are. Fair enough. So, yeah. this won't be one sentence. I noticed some things about asteroid mining recently, where we're going to go off up to asteroids and get loads of metals out of them and bring them back to replenish all the resources we're running out on the earth and i noticed today somebody was going to fire something at an asteroid see if they can move it but that's a totally NASA. different story for another day yes yep yeah yeah i'm sure they've done the maths right the asteroid mining part of it dates back to the beginning of why cas were invented in the first place some people had a dream then of sending little robots up to mine precious metals and so on from asteroids then thought, yeah, that's quite a long way away. We want something that's nice and simple that can follow instructions, stick to a set of rules like bring back all the plutonium or gold or I don't know, whatever. And maybe some other rules like if you're starting to malfunction, make a new robot to replace yourself. I thought it would be brilliant if we could do this but we can't figure out how to do it. So we're theoretical physicists and mathematicians. So what we'll do is we simplify it down to the essence and we'll set up an idea of a space or maybe a grid that's got the some cells or miniature automata in. Cellular automata or tomatoes or <laughs> as you wish. And so we've got a grid that things can exist on. They've got a current state. So the simplest thing to do is get right down to something's on or off. So you could imagine a grid pattern of some LEDs or something like that. And then finally, you give them some rules. And sit back and see what happens. If you want to simplify it even further, instead of going woo an entire two-dimensional grid, you should just have a line and choose a random start state, so something's on, something's off, and then set up some rules. Just to keep it really, really simple, each cell or LED, or whatever these things are that we can't pronounce, looks at its current state it's left-hand neighbor and it's right-hand neighbor and based on that it changes state or maybe stays the same so you just need three bits so a small number and you can use the bit pattern so you could do things like say if the left-hand neighbor's on I'm on and my right-hand neighbor's on I'm going to go off And everything else stays on. And that will give you one set of rules. And then you see what happens. Well, that's quite a boring one. You could have a the simplest rule would be turn everything off. We can guess what's going to happen then. It doesn't matter what state <laughs> you start in. If all of the possible combinations of the left itself and the right-hand neighbor map to zero, then everything just goes off and remains that way. If you If you introduce some more complicated rules, if you work through how many possible combinations you could have for the three- bit numbers, you end up with 256 rules for this elementary cello- cellular automata, this like straight line. and some of them are really boring. like I said, turning everything off really boring equally turning everything on, but some of them devolve into chaotic states really quickly. So you can't work out what's going to happen next. And The guy who invented these elementary CAs, a guy called Wolfram, has written a programming language and he used one of the rules to generate random numbers, because you can't work out what's going to happen next unless you know where you've started from, So but they can actually be quite useful. And quite surprising and unpredictable. That's
0: a one d so What I thought we might. What I thought we might do is try and describe because we've got some pictures on our screen that kind of describes this stuff. I thought I might try and describe it a little bit. Okay. Um, what these one D ones look like. So, so like like you said, there's only in like in the world, there's only like a line of. Like, you could imagine lights, like you're saying, LEDs, either turned on or turned off. And then each of those lights has a rule about what happens in the next time step Mm -hmm. um, to do with the neighbours next to me. But then the way to visualise that, to kind of understand how this thing changes over time, that they've got, at least on this webpage that we're we're looking at, which is this... Actually, it's on the Wolfram website. Yeah. um, Is that you you can see uh, the top line is like what what it was like at the beginning and then the next line is yeah. what it's like one time step later and the next line is one time step later so all these shapes um what what you end up seeing is these kind of complicated shapes and often they're in triangles because it starts off with just one light on and then gradually more lights come on later so it kind of yeah. forms this kind of gets wider over so time so it's like a triangle shape
2: the history of what happened
0: so we'll put some links in the show notes. But, yeah, the different rules make all these different patterns. Um, and some of them look like some shapes that we, we're used to seeing, you know, just like a, a pyramid or something. And Lots of them look like pyramids, but they look like pyramids with all kinds of weird patterns on. And Sometimes there's only half a pyramid, and
1: yeah. sometimes
0: they get really funny looking. So, yeah, I guess what's surprising about it is you just have these incredibly simple rules, like just about, like if there's someone if there's a light on next to me then i turn off or you know you know, a rule like that yeah yeah and you end up with these really complicated weird patterns
2: or so, everything turns <coughs> off so there's some simple obvious ones but yeah. there several quite surprising things happen
1: if uh if you scale this up does it become more complicated or does it just stay the same in in terms of how complex it is
2: um, The rule seems to be the main thing that derives what you end up seeing, though that can interact with the initial start states, and I've not played enough with this to see what happens. I mean, you, you don't have to start with a finite grid. You could, in theory, let things move off to the sides and just assume everything all the way to infinity on the left and on the right is off initially and see what happens, though that would be quite a challenge to code up and would fill up space quite quickly you you can use them to model some natural phenomena i've said one of the rules you can use to generate random numbers there's something going on in some of them that seems to work a bit like how shells grow and get patterns
1: i was going to ask about that actually yeah yeah so one of the things i saw on the wikipedia page in biology is that there are some types of shell that exhibit this of behaviour which is really interesting can you tell us a bit more about that no because I'm
2: not a biologist but I know So (laughs) Alan Alan Turing tried to model stripes on zebras and spots on leopards and things like shells follow a similar thing where if you think about how things are growing the way the cells grow maybe the colours they take on might well be influenced by what they're immediately next to Now, maybe that's driven by some chemistry or whatever and in my head, so, it's similar so that, yeah. to a pine cone growing, that as it mm-hmm. j- makes the next ring round the pine cone, you end up getting some fractal numbers falling out there. So mm. some simple initial state and some simple rules. And then we get these cool patterns happening.
1: Yeah, so the patterns in things like seashells, uh-huh. uh, can they, could they actually be influenced by the environment that they're in because a seashell doesn't have eyes or well, not, not the shell itself, but the mollusk inside, could it sense its surroundings and change its, its pattern, its shell pattern, to adjust that? Is that what's being... I
2: suspect in- that could happen. There might be some environmental right. factors, and presumably things like pollution might end up having an effect on things. Yeah. But I don't know enough biology
1: to do anything more than just guess at this point. Okay. Um, so, uh, in... In, on the Wikipedia page that you talked about, which is called Cellular Automaton, uh, it talks about Conway's Game of Life, which I have heard of. Right. But I don't know why I've heard of this, uh, but but it because seems to be in my cool. memory somewhere. It's cool, is it? Okay. <laughs> it yeah. is.
2: So we we started by talking about a line of LEDs or something like that. If we now jump into another dimension... And go two-dimensional so back mm. to the grids we had to begin with instead of just looking at our left and right hand neighbor we could look at the cell above and below us and write some rules now conway and you can do you can do this in lots of different ways conway's game of life is an example of a two-dimensional ca and i'm not going to get the rules right off the top of my head <laughs> but like you said we'll put some links in this so people can check it out properly later on the idea is that if you've got maybe two neighbouring cells that are alive you stay alive but as soon as you hit three or more that cell dies off which simulates the idea of overcrowding right and I think if there's a cell's currently dead and that it's got one or two neighbours it might come to life so there's four I just, I basic just went, rules <coughs>
0: Sorry, yeah I've got, got it here at- as well <laughs> I just went and looked up the rules. Lads. So, it's if you've got fewer than two neighbours alive, you die. Because it's right. like, like you're too cold or something. Yeah. If you have two or three neighbours. And by the way, neighbours is like the eight around this square, like diagonals as well. Um, so, yes. if you've got two or three neighbours, then you live on. But if you've got more than three, then you die.
2: Right. So, what you end up seeing is some cells come on. And some cells go off. Now, what ends up happening is sometimes the cells look like they're tumbling across the grid. Or sometimes they stay still but blink on and off like they're oscillating or flashing or something. Some of them just die off. Some of them stay static. And it's going to depend how you started things off as to what ends up happening. But there are loads and loads of recognised patterns like the oscillators. Like I said, things blinking on and off. Or things moving and again it's quite interesting that you just get all kinds of cool patterns starting to happen from just those simple rules
1: yeah and it seems like from from the animation on the the Wikipedia page you do get patterns repeating themselves again and again as it follows the rules and things move across the the grid
2: yeah so some of them move some of them don't move some of them blink On and off, so they repeat, and then go back to where they were. So flip between two states, which would be a period of two. Some of them have much greater periods. And I think there's a website somewhere that's tracking every single oscillator, so the thing that spins around states but stays stationary. Right. And every kind of moving life form that travels across the grid.
1: The so guy who this? introduced Sorry. it
2: introduced it just as a maths game in a maths journal ages ago and people were playing around by hand but now it's much easier to get computers to do it and it's just because yes. it was fun working out what happened and going,
0: oh, that's cool and it, What's so um so strange about it is that you've just got these incredibly simple rules that just say, turn off if there's um you know four near you and uh, or turn on if there's three near you and and that each of those rules only applies to like one square. Like you apply it to every yeah. square, um, but but you never look further than one square away and stuff like that. But if if you then watch the animation, and we'll put a link on the on the uh, on the show notes, it looks like there are shapes that kind of live for more than one time step and like actually move around. These things called gliders, where the the pattern of the dots means that another pattern, another pattern, another pattern appears just slightly moved each time. And it looks like a a real thing that's moving around in the world. And so it's hard to believe that these simple rules make these things that look like living creatures. Exactly.
2: And it does look as though there's some kind of global state going on rather than just that local what's happening around each cell defining what happens.
1: So we talked about Um, an application of this in terms of like small robots mining asteroids but what other areas of the real world could we use um, for this?
2: There's some things we can do which we shouldn't do possibly, (laughs) for example because um, the game of life, you put an initial state in and then at each step you get another state out With a little bit of grunt work and maths, we can prove that's Turing complete, which means you could use it to simulate a Turing machine or a computer. And people have used this abstract computer to generate code for Tetris.
1: Oh, okay,
2: right. Which isn't the simplest way to write Tetris, <clears throat> but because it's Turing complete, why not? I think there's. I might be able to find you a link for that at some point. But if you look up Conway's Game of Life and Tetris, you will find it. That's silly, but beautiful. I think. Yeah. If you want something useful for it, and we've we've talked about modelling shells and other patterns in nature evolving, but also you can use this kind of thing to look at the behaviour of some chemicals or some physics. If, If you look at how things flow and move around, a lot of times, and I'm not a physicist or a chemist, but each molecule is going to be constrained and affected by its neighbours, So you can simulate how chemical and physical processes might evolve by just defining what's happening on that very microscopic level.
1: Okay, And
2: see if the simulation matches what we see at a macroscopic level. And there are several research papers where people have used this as a way of modelling things where maybe the mathematics of some computational fluid dynamics or similar is far too difficult. I right, managed yeah. to subvert this slightly which this is why I got into the chat with Andy the other day was trying to define terms Andy's talked about it looking as though you've got something moving across the screen when you play Conway's Game of Life and I wondered to myself so I've come across call stochastic cellular automata and I can see a Wikipedia page for it and I don't oh. think it's very helpful at the moment. So okay. maybe I'll try and make it more useful at some point. So instead of following definitive rules, you have a probability of the light going on or off and you can tweak the probabilities and that gives you the stochastic or random behaviour. Which then means you could treat each cell as though, if you start thinking of it as though it's moving instead of just colouring the state, you could have some little blobs or agents or automata or tomatoes moving (laughs) around a space. Maybe you're simulating a building or something and you could work out how long they take to get to a far exit. And maybe you could put exit signs up which make them more likely to follow the sign in that direction. But they right. might not. That's where the random stochastic bit comes in. And then you can model how long it takes to get everyone out of a burning building. Or you could do what I did for the Acu conference earlier this year. I modelled people coming out of a talk into a hallway and maybe trying to just leave, get out of the exit. And then I upped my game a bit and distracted them with tables of food and coffee. So <laughs> depending on how hungry or thirsty they were, they started going towards the tables and getting in each other's way. And you actually got some quite realistic simulations of people moving around space. You can do the serious thing like how quickly can people get out of buildings or where should we put exit signs? And again, do some simulations this way to see what might be the best way of doing things? So if
1: I were to, in theory, you know, make a park with dinosaurs in it, um, (laughs) which is, of course, silly. uh, And put some
2: rotten green tomatoes in. Put some rotten
1: green tomatoes in it and put some people there as well. Okay. And then you can model um, how everything's going to go wrong very quickly.
2: Ah, yeah. (laughs) when When I first chatted to Andy a little while ago, well, I mentioned predator-prey models as well. Right. I think you've just inadvertently dragged us in that general direction. Right? <laughs> right. Okay. And you've got yeah. agents with agendas, and some of them are trying to eat other ones, and chaos reigns, and you get a film out of it, or a technical talk. Or but I've not played with them enough, but it feels like it can't be that far away from where we started with our lights going on and off. Yeah. And then adding a bit more agency and something random, and some kind of I want
1: cake, or I want to eat a human, or whatever we're modelling. Yes, I want to eat my neighbour, or anything, really, yes, yes, exactly, yes.
0: Yeah, so we, we got, Fran and I got into this because we were talking about, we're trying to understand what's the difference between a cellular automaton and what is generally called an agent-based model, which is um, what I was did for my PhD. And it's really interesting perspective that Fran brought, that actually the... The origin of cellular automata is trying to model agents, actually, um, just trying mm. to try take it back to the simplest possible way of thinking about it. Um, but yeah, we got into discussion of these people who are trying to walk uh, to the exit or maybe they want to stop for some food or some coffee, are they agents? Like I would have said that at that point, it's instead of being a cellular automaton, it's like a grid with some agents on it because the way I was thinking about cellular automata is um, these like specific rules just about the neighbours around you. Um, but yeah, so then there's, all, there's a whole load of stuff, research done with agent-based models, including some of the stuff I was doing um, my PhD on, um, where I was trying to I, was, I wasn't using a grid. I had agents that, were, um, that could move around in space, in a sort of continuous space, and they had sort of eye-like things or sort of distance sensors. And then I was trying to get them to do things that are interesting by some definition. So that was things like find their way through a maze or remember the r- right way through a maze or decide whether an object was a square or a circle like I had one that I had to I had to move out of the way when a square was coming towards it um, and move towards it when a circle was coming towards it, things like that. Mm. The idea of that is to try and figure out um, something about how brains work by taking problems that seem like the kinds of things brains ought to be able to do, uh, and then trying to make something that can also do it, and then look at the neural network. That you get at the end because these had these things had neural networks inside them, so very different from these very simple rules of cellular automata where you just you got like two sentences and that's all your rules. This was a big neural network, um, so lots and lots of numbers getting crunched for every um, every time step. Um, yeah, and and I did that for four miserable years, and then
1: eventually I escaped
0: <laughs> from the land of academia, <laughs> and so I've never done it again. <laughs>
1: So I was thinking about when we were talking about like lots of things moving across a grid, you know, I talked about the dinosaur part, which is, of course, you know, Ian Malcolm's thing in Jurassic Park is you can't control complex systems. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things will eventually break down and the dinosaurs will get out and eat everybody. Um, But I was thinking about um, real world scenarios. Uh, For instance, like, say, in on the plains of Africa, where you have vast amounts of what, of animals moving around and you have some predators um, whether you can model how likely it is that a predator could catch uh, say a zebra or a wildebeest or something like that given a certain herd and how fast they're moving and that kind of thing. Is that kind of thing of interest or do you think other things? I
2: think you could probably start building something like that but there's a whole other area called predator prey models that are more geared up to that kind of thing. One distinction that is clear between the cellular automata and Andy's robots with wheels and eyes that he abandoned after a four year hard slog was (laughs) his robots can move as far as they want to up to some theoretical limits in any given time period. Whereas the cellular automata tend to just do, either make one step or do one state change, so they tend to be discrete. But you could do make them continuous if you've switched your head around to thinking about them moving, but then it is blurring with the agents as well. And I could see how you could build a simulation to see what yeah. happens and how fast they need to run to escape and so on, but I think I'd probably want to spend some time looking up predator prey models first to Mm. see what i've forgotten to include in my simulation in my head
1: but certainly uh, earlier on you were talking about uh, you know uh, modeling or at least simulating um, people leaving the accu and then putting some interesting stuff for them to be distracted by but presumably you could if you were designing a building you could figure out where the Where the points in the building are that people are going to congregate and where there might be issues with too many people in one place at the same time and that kind of thing.
2: There are, I've seen some models out there around this kind of thing. And, And if you combine them with some things that are known about continuous systems and fluid flow and so on, you actually often find that if you put some bollards near a door, and send people through a narrower bottleneck, it smooths out the flow, and then you're less likely to get a crush and things. I think that's why they sometimes do close some exits and light up some new exit signs. If, for example, they shut down loads of the underground in London, because there are some models that show how people get out more smoothly, more quickly, and more safely, just playing with this basic stuff.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
0: and When I was doing my useless... Um, PhD, <laughs> uh, some of my colleagues were doing really quite useful stuff and the ones who were doing the most useful stuff were working with biologists uh, and they were designing agent-based models mostly, not CAs, but um, doing things exactly like what you're saying Andy, like um, taking a description from a biologist of a situation, like the one I remember was about um, population and like um, whether uh, whether populations could survive if the if the animals behaved selfishly or 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 helped each other, um, but yeah, so building these agent-based simulations. So you've got actual it's an actual computer program which simulates these animals moving around and living their life, um, and then figuring out what would happen in, in in like in a system that's far too complex to use equations to describe it. Mm. Um, yeah, so there's some really amazing work um, in that area. Also, there's probably some complete rubbish because it really depends what you. Um, what you put in, whether the assumptions you build into it, bear any relation to reality,
1: right? Which that yeah.
0: takes practice, and it also takes
1: like scientific honesty. Sign- can you can you just explain what that means?
0: Well, I mean, when your experiment is rubbish, <laughs> um, you need to publish it and say, "Our experiment was rubbish for the following reasons." Right. Um, you know the the worst case scenario is to ex- publish your experiment and say, "Look how amazing our experiment is," when you know it's rubbish. But actually, it's also quite bad to not bother to publish it um, because then you right. get now what do they call that? Publish publication bias, oh. where if, you, if someone's looking on from the outside, it looks like basically every experiment people try works, <laughs> and actually, you know, like 10% of experiments that people try work, but they just don't publish the other times.
1: So I think an example of people who published when they knew it was bunk was a couple of folks in, I think it's the 80s, who claimed they'd invented cold fusion.
0: We've had that a number of times, haven't we?
1: (laughs) Yes, and then it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny at all. (laughs) And maybe they're just doing it because they want to be famous for five minutes. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that kind of thing, to some extent, uh, it's more of a flash in the pan, but... um this t- tendency, which is completely natural, not to publish stuff if it didn't work, or if it didn't give an interesting result, right? Like, the journals aren't interested in in science where you say, you know, I tried something out, it didn't really work. But um, actually, it's really important to tell the yeah. world about it.
2: Absolutely is because otherwise people are waste their time doing the same, the same wrong thing wrong over yeah. and over yeah. again. But yeah, a lot of academic journals don't publish the negative results thing. So yeah, we should try and buck the trend. Perhaps we should <laughs> write a come out of a new journal of when experiments go bad.
1: Where
0: scientific failures.
1: Yeah. I think that's yeah. a TV show, isn't it? When experiments go bad. It probably should be. <laughs>
0: I mean, we, we had a you know we had a thing of um, uh, publishing. Like essentially, if no one else would publish it, you just published it as part of the university, like sort of on their website or whatever. You know, like um, so that maybe that's a solution to that kind of thing. Like, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily. It's never gonna get you the attention you get if you've proved some exciting new thing, right? But you should still put the information out there so people can find it.
1: Could yeah. you use CA to model whether it's worth publishing some? some bad results?
2: Um, I'm not sure that s- uh, CA would be my go-to simulation there. <laughs> I think this might be more like decision trees or something, but right. it might be another podcast for another yeah. day. Okay, You have set yeah. me a challenge, though. I'm not quite sure how I could... I suppose you want lights on or lights off, but what does it mean? Because CAs are like tied to the idea of 1D, 2D space or some form of spatial thing. And I don't see the spatial part to the paper being published or not right. yet. Yeah, okay. But perhaps yeah. I've just not imagined enough mm, tricksy.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So Fran if I was um quite a practically minded um person interested in coding up like AI type things like CAs um could you recommend to me any like book by an expert in artificial intelligence that I could really get my teeth into and try out some of this stuff for myself?
2: There are lots and lots of books out there, deep dives into all kinds of things. But if you want a simple overview to get you up and running quickly, I wrote a book about three years ago that will show you how to build things yourself from scratch. So you to look out for Genetic Algorithms for Programmers, published by Pragprog.
0: And tell me what the real title of that book is.
2: Oh, uh, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget, but I'm going to have to look it up. because Code yourself out of a paper long. bag. Yeah, it should be Code Your Way Out of a Paper code Bag. Code Your Way
1: Out of a Paper Bag, yeah.
2: Because each of the toy problems I set up involved just moving something in space and trying to get them out of a pretend paper bag. The full title is Genetic Algorithms and Machine Learning for Programmers, create ai models and evolve solutions which
0: is yeah just code your way out of a paper bag that's not as good as code your way out of paper
1: it's good but it's not great
0: (laughs) awesome awesome yeah highly recommended that book if you're listening to this and thinking i want to um learn a bit more about it you've um a listener, you've heard from Fran now, you know how practical her explanations are. Yeah. Um, so that's the way to uh, really get stuck into some of this stuff.
1: Could um, you, sorry, uh, could you using CA, could you predict things like chess moves or is that or, not the kind of thing you would use it for?
2: Well, when you say predict chess moves.
1: Yeah, so if you were to, um, maybe this isn't the right thing to do this I'm just thinking it isn't the right way to do it but (laughs) if you if you had a a record of a match between two people and you knew what was going to go on could you use CA to then say okay I'll give you the same everything's in the same position you all know what you're supposed to do can you then replicate that match using CA
2: well on the one hand Because CAs fundamentally just look at the neighbours, the neighbouring grid points, if we're doing 2D, which I guess we're doing 2D chess rather than 1D chess, I don't think that's a thing, or 3D (laughs) chess, which is too hard for me. Because you're only looking at your immediate neighbours, it seems like a bit of a leap to do the distance things, but there might be a way of that happening. But we did say earlier on, that you could code up Tetris using Conway's Game of Life, because it is a Turing machine. Mm -hmm. And people have written chess-playing computers which learn from the inputs of some previous games and some reinforcement learning. So you could build Conway's Game of Life to build a universal Turing machine, to build something like Deep Blue. In fact, you could up your game and get it to do Go as well. Oh, yeah. And build some neural networks on that, and, but it would be completely over engineered and a really, really ridiculous thing to do. And I don't think I've got time to do that. But well, that sounds um, quite cool, a though. a challenge for someone. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now, the reason why I brought that up is because very recently I was reading a BBC News article about a chess match that was uh, controversial uh, because the person who won it um, resigned from the competition um, and then. Uh, the other person claimed that they cheated. But right. there's no evidence that they cheated. <laughs> no, no no evidence at all. And, you know, chess matches are incredibly well policed now. It's mm. virtually mm. impossible for someone to get a headset into a match because right. it's just, you know. So, uh, but this person keeps saying there's no way they could have beaten me. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's pride. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, yeah it's interesting
0: I, that they resigned.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, no, I just, I just, it was stuck, It was in my mind about that really. So I thought, uh, would it be possible?
0: I, I can't
2: imagine how you could use CA's to do that because of that thing about just looking at the neighbouring places and it having yes. that spatial aspect to it. I'm probably, I suspect there are other machine learning algorithms that can go fake or for real or true or false and. Whether they succeed or not, in that particular case, I don't know, you could probably try a thousand models and just write up the one that worked, as we discussed earlier, and then it yeah, yeah. will be good or bad, I don't know. What's,
0: uh, what's interesting, because uh, I watch Go a little bit, I don't really um, engage with the world of chess, but in the Go world, um, the top players now... Um, will very often play the same exact moves as a computer for the first kind of 50 moves or so. Um, so it's actually really hard to tell whether they're cheating from their moves because they've learned from the the program how to play, right? So they're, um, you know, the skill at that top level now is essentially being able to predict what the computer would tell you to do <laughs> and then do that. because um, computers are so unbelievably good at Go now. Having only surpassed humans, what ten was it? Ten years ago? Less than ten years ago? It was
1: Google that did it first, wasn't it? No, I think it was. Well, it was. It's a company it was that more Google bought. Than that. Let's, yeah.
0: let's not give Google too much credit.
1: Okay, fair enough. Yeah. No, we don't want to do that.
0: Um, but yeah, DeepMind, who who are indeed owned by and funded by Google. Let's not give them too little credit either. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, unbelievable group of people, um, based in the UK. Yeah. Who have solved. Solved some incredible problems in, in science, and you know, winning, beating the best human at Go was just a stepping stone for them towards more interesting problems.
2: Now that was held out as the, wow, that's never going to happen, and prior yeah. to that, chess had been held out as that, oh, it's never going to be possible for a computer. And then prior yeah. to that, um, Arthur Samuel who invented the term machine learning was learning how to play drafts and get his computer to play drafts. And that was like, whoa, that's not possible. So, yeah, don't know where we yeah. go after Go. Go's a fascinating game. I'm not very good, but I love it. And just watching that unfold
0: has been very interesting. It's an amazing game. It did make me think, actually, CAs might have something to offer in Go because the local patterns are mm. very important. Now, there's obviously a global... Uh, stuff going on as well. It's played on a very big board, nineteen by nineteen grid, um, and you have to think about the global position, but but you also have to recognise a lot of the local patterns. Um, so maybe CAs might be able to do some kind of um, like be a gas that like shows you which area of the board's important or mm. um, you know that kind of thing. I know the the DeepMind. Um, uh, a uh, computer program that um plays go has at least two neural networks in it that tell it different things one of them tells it which area of the board is important and one one of them tells it kind of which moves to play in that area kind of thing so they they combine that stuff together it's a very spatial game so it's a bit like CAs yeah. even if it's even if CAs are totally yeah. irrelevant to it <laughs> Oh, uh, well, I've clearly got loads more to go away and think
1: about. Yes, let we go. <laughs> okay. I don't actually have any other questions about CA. Cool. Well,
0: what we normally do towards the end is talk about things we've been watching on TV and movies. So we could do a bit of that.
1: Okay. Uh, Fran, why don't you go first? We just sprung that on you.
2: Yeah. I. I've got record I'm recording University Challenge
0: at the moment, so I shall oh, watch I that afterwards. University We've apart, pulled you away from University Challenge, I feel very uh, bad about that.
2: I'll cope. I don't usually get more than three questions right. I'm getting <laughs> worse in my old age. Apart from that, the main standout thing recently has been watching The Sandman oh, yeah. by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah, I've yeah. just I bought those comics in graphic novel format as I was finishing my PhD. I couldn't face reading anymore after my PhD it's just, no, can't cope <laughs> I nursed myself back round with comics because there was pictures as well and just been re- really well done they've tinkered with the story in order to get it in more of a straight line and it looks like they will come out with season two so hopefully there's going to be more of that that's been beautifully done love Neil right.
1: gaming yeah. stuff I've heard it's very good I haven't watched it yet <clears throat> I haven't we, been in the right it. frame of mind
0: We watched an episode or two. I'm normally, I just will not watch any kind of y type thing. Um, But uh, it was very nicely made, so it kind of won me over.
1: I think it's an interesting story from page to TV. It was, you know, because it's been mooted for like, how old is Sandman? Is like 20 years old? Or is it, the graphic novel formats, I was looking at the dates, and some of them were
2: like 93 or so. So obviously right. those brought together the individual comics that had come out yeah.
1: before. So, old. so it's been out a long time. Yeah. And Neil Gaiman's always had creative control over it. Yeah. And he's said no to so many things. And then finally, for Netflix, he said, yeah, I know, I think we can make that work. So good well, on him, I think, yeah. for sticking to his guns. Um, anything else, Fran? Mostly that, I think. Right. Sandman. And University Challenge. Yeah. Cool. Andy? Did I talk about Bullet Train? Uh, no, you didn't. Oh,
0: man, Bullet Train is so good. Okay. It's so good. It's a film. Yep. Um, and I went to see it not, not necessarily knowing what to expect, just I saw the trailer and it looked kind of funny. And it's just uh it's like an adrenaline ride it's really funny uh, i love brad pitt and it's got brad pitt on yep. top form um and uh like brad pitt as like the slightly aging um uh like used to be used to be hero type person uh, including a wonderful moment where he's trying to read something and he has to like hold it away from his eyes at the right <laughs> distance so he can read nice. it which yep. really made me happy because that's where I am in my life. Um uh yeah, it's just really like charming. Just uh and it kept I kept thinking it was going to end. I kept thinking oh no, you know, this must be the ending and then it has another bit and another bit. And I was like, "Yes, there's some more, there's some more." And I just <laughs> loved it. It's really Excellent. really good. Uh,
1: that's cool. That's cool. Uh anything else?
0: I don't think so. I'm sure there are. Okay. How about
1: you? Um, yeah, so Elvis, started watching Elvis last night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so this, this film is seen through the eyes of Colonel Tom Parker, who was Elvis's promoter. Not his manager, his promoter. Um, and it's about, <clears throat> it's about him, basically. So the first time he sees Elvis Presley is at a country and western show where Elvis is like a supporting act. And he introduces himself as uh, a player of uh, bluesy gospel music, basically so which is true uh, and the and Colonel Tom Parker is played by um, Tom Hanks oh, right. and you can literally see the dollar signs in his eyes as he's watching him he's like this is the, <laughs> this is my ticket to get out of what I'm doing now and you know make loads of money basically it's yeah, I really enjoyed it, but Hanks is great. The guy who plays Elvis is great. If you can stomach the um the fast cutting and like the, what I call it attention deficit filmmaking, basically, mm-hmm. uh, it's got a lot of energy. Yeah, it's really good. And there's a scene later on in the film where somebody plays little Richard playing. Um, now oh, what's the song? Um. I can't remember what the song is but it's one of his famous ones and the guy who's playing that looks like his feet are on fire incredible performance Mm -hmm. like electric performance I mean Little Richard's a pretty electric performer but honestly this guy looks like he's been um yeah well primed shall we say (laughs) to do that performance so yeah really enjoyed that we started watching a movie over the weekend called X which is a horror movie uh but we stopped about halfway through when we realised it was just a slasher film and neither of us liked slasher films very much, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we stopped. Uh, other than that, just loads of TV that uh, is not really of much consequence because I can't remember any,
0: it. Any plugging, Andy? Not from me, no. Fran, anything you want to plug? We've plugged your book and we'll put a link to the in the show notes to... Genetic algorithms and machine learning for programmers create AI, mo- AI models and evolve solutions. Code your way the out of a paper bag.
2: <laughs>
0: Code um, your way out of a paper bag.
2: So just, just to say, I guess, I, I've given some talks at the ACU conference a few times. So there's some talks on their YouTube channel. And then you get to see stuff moving around on the screen rather than just listen. Oh. So check yeah,
0: that out. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, so have a look at the um, ACCU YouTube channel or ACCU Conf or something like that, isn't it? Um, it's a conference. Um, and you find Fran on there. You might even find a couple by me on there. But yeah, it's worth digging back into the older ones because you've done a few talks, Fran, haven't you, in previous yeah. years as well, covering different stuff.
2: Yes, this this has been going on for quite a long time. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> when the first one was. But yeah, there's some links on acu.org under the conference section, or just look on YouTube for that key, but I'm sure we can find some links for you to put up with the podcast Yeah, we'll
0: put some links in there. Excellent. One bit of plugging from me. Yes. Highly relevant. Um, On the Small Pixel website, there is actually a game of life that you can um, watch, but also you can slightly interact with it. So you can click around and it makes little shapes that... um, and crash into each other and stuff like that.
1: Oh, okay. So Interesting. For,
0: I don't know. It's the worst name in the world. Um, if you search for Small Pixel, S-M-O-L-P-X-L, why did I call it that? Small that Pixel. Is my, <laughs> that small is people. my games website. It's got a few web games on it. Um, but one of them is called uh, Game of Life, I think, something like that. So um, you'll be able to see from the animation, it's little squares moving around, and you can... Click on them.
1: Excellent, excellent. I just remember the name of the little Richard song. It's Tutti Fruity. That's a famous little oh, right, Richard right, right, song. Right, right. But the guy, honestly, he sings the hell out of that song. It's um, it's quite a sight that, to behold.
0: That's been that's good because listener was screaming Tootie Fruity. Exactly. They're the, <laughs> like,
1: the, come on, Andy, get it, get it together. Device. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's it. I
0: think that might be it.
1: Yeah. Thanks cool. to Fran for joining us again. Thanks yeah, for, um, the thanks, thanks for really taking that. the
0: time to share your wisdom. Yep. It's been interesting.
1: Cool. Cool. <laughs> um, Lots to keep. Thinking normal about. service will will be resumed next time, I think. Um, yeah. We'll have some kind
0: of media that we'll be discussing in spoilerific detail next time, I should think.
1: Yes. We will. But thank you to Fran for coming on. Um, I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future, if you cool. if you want to. That would be lovely. Excellent. Okay. All right. Thanks time. a lot. Bye. 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 Bye.